0: Blog Talk Radio. Hi there, welcome to Teach Me to Talk to podcast. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and I'm so glad you joined me for this show. Today's topic is one that so many speech pathologists talk about, and butt their heads against the wall about. (laughs) And it's certainly something that I receive questions about all the time, not only from therapists but from moms as well. So today we're going to be talking about how difficult it is for topics with language related disorders to learn, to understand, and more importantly use early pronouns. So I know it's a topic that, again, interests lots and lots of people, and again, the reason that I'm doing this show is because I have had this very persistent mom (laughs) for months now email me uh, about her daughter, and let me just start with her specific question because that's what I'm going to tailor all of our general discussion around, Uh, so let me give you some background, and then we'll kind of back up and look at pronoun usage more broadly, but for right now let's kind of get to the reason that we're doing the show. And and this is from a mom named Marion, And she says my daughter is four years old and is diagnosed with global developmental delay, comorbid with autism traits. She says, I have your Teach Me to Talk to the Therapy Manual and I read the pronoun section and applied that on her And I've not had any luck. She's still using her name instead of using early pronouns. For example, she says her name wants green color instead of saying I want green color. And then she goes on to say you replied to me um, a while back when you answered my question in your post and you told me to structure everything in a way with math practice and this is the example I gave her. I said, take something that she loves, like using a piece of candy, and this little girl loves chocolate. So my suggestion to this mom was that she use chocolate because it's extremely motivating for this little girl and would practically ensure that she would successfully (laughs) participate in what to say with her mom. So I suggested to mom, that she should say, Who wants a piece of chocolate? Who wants a piece of chocolate? And then for mom to model, I do, I do, or even model me uh, to sometimes kind of mix that up once she has begun to successfully imitate, um, I do. And so mom goes on to say, After two weeks of practice with her, she now says, I do without a model thanks to you, but only in response to who wants. So she's saying that her little girl has certainly learned it in that context. But she goes on to say, my question is how do I generalize pronouns in a phrase so that she can say pronouns like I, me, my, and not her name at the start of the phrase. And she goes on to tell me that she's using two to four word phrases consistently, but the pronouns are missing. She says, I'm worried and I need step-by-step structured instructions (laughs) because my naturalistic method is not working. So let me just say again how much I love moms like this who try so hard and who are so instinctively fantastic at identifying the problem. She says, okay, you gave me a great idea. Now she's learned to say I do But that's the only time she uses pronouns. So what now, Laura? (laughs) So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Because, again, it's a really, really common problem for children with uh, specific issues. As this mom said, her little girl was diagnosed with global developmental delay with some traits that would resemble autism. And this is a mom, too, that's not in the United States. So, there could be some diagnostic differences there you know certainly gosh, even within the United States, from locality to locality, you'll see some differences in how professionals diagnose autism. you know it could be that when she was diagnosed she the professionals diagnosing her didn't feel that she. Met fully met all of the criteria, so she maybe had some things that looked more or leaned toward autism, but not everything was consistent, so that they felt like they could give her that diagnosis and again you you don't always know what's happened, you don't know what the rationale has been, so certainly um the reason that I'm saying that lots and lots and lots of children who were on the spectrum struggle to learn pronouns. It's almost, see, I can't really say that. I was going to say it's one of the diagnostic criteria, but it's really not. Let me just kind of stick in another little side note here, another little uh, mention of this. I have a new book out this summer, spent summer most of the summer, the early part anyway, May, June, and July writing it, called Is It Autism Helping Parents Understand the Diagnosis of ASD? It's an e-book, it's on Kindle, so super cheap, super easy to access, whether you live in the United States or around the world, and lots and lots of people will email me and say, I want to get your book, but I'm so concerned about shipping costs. Well, this one is only available in a digital version, so you, again, great resource for you if you're a parent and wondering if your child has autism? You're no, you're fully aware of the language delay. You've noticed some other things. Maybe a professional has mentioned to you. I'm concerned about autism. Maybe that's just something you've gleaned from your own uh, searching with through information. You know, you've gotten out there. You've read some things. That's what a lot of parents will say to me: is I just was concerned about him not talking, and now that I'm reading. I'm scared it may be autism. So I wrote this book in response to that to parents who were really wondering, is this autism? How can I know? There seems to be some differentiation from person to person about what autism is and what autism isn't. I took the the official diagnostic criteria from the DSM-5, the newest version of the diagnostic statistics, Gosh, I'm probably screwing up the title of that. Anyway, DSM, (laughs) you know what I'm talking about. From that manual, took that criteria and then went to great lengths to describe what all of that jargony sounding definition of autism, all of those characteristics, what that looks like in real life. I used as many examples from parents as I could remember of them saying, you know, does this fall into autism? Is is this what you mean when you're talking about a sensory processing issue? Is this what you mean by a stereotypic behavior? Is this echolalia? So lots of those kind of lingo ish jargony terms that as therapists we throw around and we understand because that's part of our education, but sometimes when we use those words, parents don't really know exactly what we mean, or they may have a textbook definition, yet not realize that their child (laughs) is exhibiting those same characteristics, but we're just not using the same uh, verbiage or not using the same words that they would use to describe a particular problem. So they can even miss what we think has been a pretty obvious pointing out of what's going on, but because you didn't say it in a way that was really understandable to them, they they missed the intent of your message. So that ebook, Is It Autism, is my most down to earth basic explanation of, of the very Difficult to understand topic of autism. So it, it's exactly how I explain autism to parents who come to see me, especially parents who are seeking out that second, third, fourth opinion, a parent who's really trying to wrap their arms around what autism means and if it's a diagnosis that's really appropriate for their child, or a parent who's, who's gotten the diagnosis but and they they agree with it, but they still don't understand exactly what those core deficits are. So it's a fantastic resource not only for parents who are in that position but for therapists who work with families who are in that position because you'll know what to say and you'll know some different examples and you'll know how to really wrap your head around it. If you have had a hard time in the past, you know, if you kind of think, I don't, Know if this kid's on the spectrum, or this kid is borderline, or I don't know if I can say that, or that's beyond the scope of my practice, or I don't, I don't, I haven't had enough training in autism to really even intelligently discuss this with this mom, or I feel like I'm not qualified. Any of those things, any of those ways that you might think or feel about yourself, this book will help you sort out what autism is so that you can more accurately and uh, more fully explain what you're seeing in a really specific situation and why it does or does not support a diagnosis of autism. So, again, just wanted to kind of throw that out there. Pronoun usage is one of the big problems that our little friends with autism struggle with, and in just a second we're going to talk about why that's so hard for kids with autism, but let me just say learning to use and understand pronouns isn't just a problem that's limited to children with autism. Kids with all kinds of language delays and disorders that are not on the autism spectrum also struggle with pronouns, so let's just kind of talk about that. Kids who have difficulty with receptive language or kids who have trouble understanding what words mean, those comprehension um, difficulties. Those kinds of kids can really have difficulty learning to understand what pronouns mean and, and what what it means when mom says me, is she talking about mom or is she talking about me, referring to the child? And so, again, we'll see that with kids with auditory processing difficulties, Due to anything, whether it's autism or another kind of diagnosis, that's, pronouns are something that we would expect to be difficult for that child to learn. Certainly our friends who are on the spectrum who are echolalic also struggle to master pronouns because those children, their little systems are hardwired to repeat what they've heard. So talking is not difficult for them. They can certainly pop out what they've listened to someone else say, but here's the kicker. Most of the time when echolalia is involved, when a child is over two, we know that that stems from not really understanding and not processing what they've heard someone say. So they just repeated it back because they know how to talk. That part of their system is not disrupted. But, again, they're missing that underlying piece of comprehension. They can say it, but they don't always know what it means. Now, echolalia is more commonly associated with autism than with anything, if we're looking at kind of diagnostically (laughs) uh, what that's associated with. But let me just kind of back up and say all kids learn language by imitating what they've heard someone say. And echolalia or repeating repeating what you've heard someone say is a very common um, step in learning how to understand and use language. And we want kids to repeat us. We want kids to imitate what we say. It doesn't become disordered until that's pretty much all a child can do. So nearly all of his utterances are what he's heard someone else say, so it would be for a kid who can't initiate and doesn't spontaneously produce some words and phrases on his own, that's when echolaria becomes a problem, when we know that, again, the child is just mimicking or parroting what he's heard someone say rather than being able to think of what he wants to say on his own and then use that word on his own without hearing that previous verbal model. And again, echolalia, I'm kind of getting a little bit off topic, but let me just say echolalia can be divided into two categories. Delayed echolalia, meaning that um, at some point in the future, the child says what he heard someone say previously. So this would be like a kid who can quote a line from or a whole section from one of his favorite DVDs. So let's say that he really loves a particular Diego episode and he then can say the lines from that later and you hear that. Or a kid who, who loves a particular book and we memorize the entire book and then she'll just go on her own little soliloquy and quote the book later, that's delayed echolalia. Kids can also have immediate echolalia, meaning that they repeat just what you said. Uh, and sometimes they're doing it communicatively because they don't know what else to do uh, or that they've experienced so much reinforcement in the past for repeating exactly what's been said. So it doesn't really matter to them that it doesn't make sense in context for them to repeat you. That's just how they've learned to communicate Mom says this and I say this and think they're really great for me. <laughs> so if you are asking them, Do you want a cookie or a cracker? And they say, Cookie or cracker or they say the whole thing, Do you want a cookie or a cracker? Just like you said it, that's really echolalia. Two, it's immediate echolalia, but you know that they just haven't learned how to say yes or they haven't learned not to repeat you yet or that they should really choose. They should make that choice there. So is it a little bit problematic? Yes. But are we happy that they're learning how to talk and communicate and that they know they should say something back? Yes. So it's not completely bad either. So I don't want to freak you out if if you're a mom listening and you haven't really heard of the term echolalia yet or haven't really thought about what it means or haven't realized that a lot of or most of what your child says is echolalia. It's not always a bad thing. Again, imitating language is what we want for a kid who isn't yet talking and isn't yet communicating. So kind of got off on a tangent there, um, but echolalia usually is, again, or can be, when a child, especially as he gets older and older and older, associated with autism and our little friends who are echolalic are kids who really, really struggle with protein use because they don't reverse the pronouns they don't think of themselves as i have to change what i'm saying because i'm the speaker now and so that kind of again gets back to that one of those core deficits of autism with that whole lack of self and and again it's kind of funny to say lack of self when or lack of self-awareness because kids with autism seem to be only kind of concerned with with Uh, themselves and their perspective, they really have a hard time taking the perspective of someone else. Um, That, again, is is one of the reasons that we see so much social difficulty or even difficulty with looking at another person or referencing another person because they're internally directed. Uh, But it's uh, also why they really, really struggle with pronoun usage too because they don't really understand that they've got a switch. That when mommy is talking about, when she says something and says I and me, she's referring to mommy. <laughs> and when a kid says something using words like I and me, she's referring to herself. And so kids with echolalia have just repeated what mom has said. And so they use the same words as use the same pronouns i and me when they're talking and sometimes it makes sense but a lot of times it doesn't you is the pronoun that trips a lot of kids up and here's where we will hear it they will say they will you know walk up to their mom or dad or whatever they're doing, and they'll look at them and say hold you hold you hold you and why do they say that because so many times when a child is upset mom or dad as we are a attempting to comfort them, and we're coming up with our options, we'll say, hey, "Do you want me to hold you?" and so a child has picked up that whole phrase, "Hold you," and that's what he says when he wants mom or dad or whoever to pick him up. He's just kind of lifted that whole little phrase and not and repeated it, echoed it, and not realized that he's got to change that pronoun for it to make sense. And so, again, that's why we know that um, our, our kids who are like are going to struggle with pronoun usage because that's the way they're learning language is just through imitation without really reflecting and understanding that they have to use words differently uh, depending on who's talking. So let's back up even from there and talk about how pronouns develop in children with typically developing systems so we start to really see pronouns emerge as early as 12 months now let's talk about well let me just say even when you were looking at milestones or reference information for pronoun usage you will still find some variability And so as a mom, you're probably listening to that and saying, well, so what? Who cares if experts can't agree on when these things emerge? I just know these words come in, blah, blah. That's not an issue to me. But if you are a speech-language pathologist or an early interventionist in another field, that's probably kind of disturbing to you as it is to me. And I think, well, if people who study this all day every day can't really come up with what's truly normal in pronoun acquisition, what? how am I supposed to be confident in my ability to teach that to kids who, who don't have normal language systems emerging? So I went and kind of pulled from a couple of different trusted resources to share this information with you. Dr. Rossetti, who is my... And I'll be all expert with anything as far as early intervention birth and that birth to three toddler period goes. On his test, the infant uh, toddler language scale, he lists early pronouns emerging at twenty-one to twenty-four months, and the ones he lists first are me, my, and mine. Okay, if we kind of look at a broader reference for this i like linguistic systems communication milestones and they redid it it's a little orange book that i've had forever and if you've seen me live at an event it's something i use as a reference all the time and you know the, my copy is probably gosh 10 years old now But they redid it in 2012 to make sure that the milestones that they were using were still current and reflected this is the information that they included about pronouns. It said there's no clear-cut progression for the acquisition of pronouns. (laughs) However, most linguists agree that the pronouns I and it are the first pronouns to emerge followed by you. And the reason I'm presenting this is it really is, in conflict with Dr. Rodetti's information, so I'm taking two of my best, most trusted resources and saying there's still some disagreement there. Um, just to kind of let you know that if we can't get agreement with typical kids, we're really going to have some problems with our little friends who have atypical language development. Let me go ahead and kind of tell you what else that resource says. It says I and it emerged between 12 to 26 months. And then between 27 and 30 months, kids master me, my, mine, and you. And then between 31 to 34 months, we would get your, she, he, yours, and we. And then 35 months to 40 months, so that right before you're three to quarter of being three, the pronouns they, us, hers, his, them, and her. Excuse me. And then 41 to 46 months is it, our, him, myself, yourself, ours, their, and theirs. And then 47 months plus herself, himself, itself, all the selves, ourselves, yourselves, themselves. Okay, so let's kind of, we've talked about what's normal. Let's kind of back it on up and pick out the pronouns then from using both of those sources that we would consider to be the most important and what we can reasonably expect toddlers to be able to do. We've had some challenges learning language in the first place. So if we kind of back that up, to everything to about two and a half, so through about 30 months, it would include I, it, and you. Okay, see, I think that's a list I can work with. <laughs> to me, knowing what I know about early language development and, and getting kids kind of to the phrase link, consistent phrase use is always what I think of as the overall, if I had one goal, that I were going to want to write for every child who's language delayed or disordered, no matter what the reason, it would be that by the time there's three, they're consistently using phrases and short sentences. Can we agree that that's a fantastic goal because it reflects what we see going on in the broad range of normal development, even if we have a 36-month-old who's who's Well, let me not say that. Let me just say, by 36 months, we want all kids, our overreaching goal would be, they're talking. They're talking in phrases and short sentences. So when I think about that, I think if I can get the pronouns that I listed, I, it, me, my, mine, and you, emerging and into spontaneous self generated phrases and short sentences, I have done a good job. So let's just talk about those pronouns, those particular pronouns. And the reason that I want us just to specify that is let's let's talk about this for a second. This again would be the core set of pronouns and this is what children who have delays and disorders are going to struggle with first. And so we need to get this out of the way because it lays the foundation for everything else. So other the other gender pronouns, oh, he, she, him, her, oh, those are really fun to teach too. And I love doing that when I have a child that's developmentally ready, but let me just say, if we have a kid who's struggling to use I and you and me and my correctly, there's no way we should be focused on those gender pronouns yet. So we're just going to take this first little set of pronouns and talk about that. Again, let's be sure that we um, have covered why pronouns are so difficult, particularly for children. With autism, and again, remember that you don't have to have a diagnosis of autism to struggle with pronouns. It would be any kind of language delay or disorder. A child would be at risk for having some difficulty learning how to correctly understand and use pronouns. So the first reason that it's hard is because pronouns are abstract meaning that it's just harder to talk about and define what words like I and me and my and mine and you mean versus a word like a noun, like ball or book or shoe. We don't have any trouble really teaching those because a kid can see it and touch it and feel it. Now, he certainly can see himself and touch himself and feel himself, but he really thinks about himself probably as his name because that, you know, we've called him Logan since he was born. And so to him, he's not thinking in terms of I and me and you. He's thinking of himself as Logan. (laughs) And so we learned that label. That's the concrete label. And then pronouns are going to be, again, that next, well, not that next developmental rung, you know, several rungs up that language ladder. Because they're more abstract. We know our little friends with autism tend to be pretty concrete thinkers. Even kids who are talking, you may, they, they have, and even kids who are school aged with autism have difficulty with language that's more abstract. They may not understand things like keep your eye on the ball. You know, if a coach tells them that, you may see. A little guy, take the baseball and really, you know, put it up to his eye or think about, whoa, is that what he's telling me to do? He doesn't understand that the coach is saying, watch the ball at all times. Make sure that your eye gaze is fixed on the ball. He doesn't get why he would say that. Or something like, let's clean up all your toys. Have you seen a child? Try then to pick up every single toy in the whole living room in one load because you said, let's clean up all your toys. Yeah, kids with typically developing language don't really mix those up. I mean, all kids can struggle with abstract language, especially when they're two and three, because they're just developmentally not ready to understand that higher-level language idioms and other kinds of comparisons, analogies, that kind of thing. But in general, children with autism struggle with these things later because their language is delayed versus when kids with normal development learn these kinds of things. So we'll see these same kinds of issues later, and the difficulty lasts for a much longer time. So later and longer, later and longer is what I try to think about this. So a a kid at two may, there was just a receptive language problem that's not autism may struggle to learn I and you and me and my and mine. But a kid with autism may still be struggling with this at four, at five, at six, at seven, 12, you know. So their problems with language can start even later than we would expect to see just because of the nature of the disorder and go on for longer and longer and longer. When I was prepping for this show, and gosh, let me just say to this mom, because I know you're going to be listening, I'm I'm sending you the link. I am so sorry for how long it took me to get this show done, but I wanted to make sure that I did it justice with not just saying, try this, try this without really explaining the whole context. And so... I would start to do the show or get it get ready to do it and then something else would happen and I wouldn't do it or I would have another guest that had some time constraints or would say, Oh well, I can do next week and I would think, Well that I'll just do that topic that week and delay that pronoun show a little bit longer because it's just me doing the show. And so I've had lots of time to kind of put this topic down and then pick it back up. So I've read a lot of blog posts from moms who've talked about how long their children on the spectrum really struggled to learn pronouns. And so if you're a mom in that position, that's something you might want to do is just search pronoun used in kid with autism or how you know teaching the pronouns I and you to a child with autism and read through some of those blog posts about how long their children struggled. With this. And it's not to redirect you to say, oh, you shouldn't be complaining about this. Your kid may struggle with this for a long time, so just, you know, let's not worry about it. That's not my point. It's just to let you know how hard it is. And I want you to be able to see that, that other parents and other kids have really struggled with this too, because there's always comfort in realizing we're not alone in this or in realizing, oh, this is just kind of the nature of her going on with her diagnosis isn't that she's just really hard to teach or it's not that she's just stubbornly refusing to make the switch here. It's that it's super, super, super challenging. It's really, really hard. So reading those blog posts may again give you some insight with that. All right, so we've talked about how kids with autism are concrete thinkers and because pronouns are abstract it's going to make it more difficult. I alluded earlier to this little point, but let's just say another reason that pronouns are so difficult for children on the spectrum is because it includes perspective taking, which again, whoever is speaking determines what the pronoun, the correct pronoun use would be. So because of that social piece in general being difficult with children with autism, that Again, one of the reasons that they're going to struggle with this so much. Another reason that kids with autism may have persistent difficulty making the switch from using their name in a phrase to using pronouns is because they don't self-monitor very well. So, again, sometimes I'll say this to parents and they'll say, how can you tell me that he doesn't self-monitor when it seems like all he does is think about what he wants in his own agenda and his he does his own thing all day, how can you tell me that he can't self-monitor? It seems like all he does is think about himself. And, again, let me just say that would be a yes, you're right, and no, you're wrong, both kind of answer. He still won't be able to do that self-reflection piece or think about how he talks for much longer probably, than a typically developing kid would, and we know that self-monitoring and self-correcting really isn't uh, realistic to think about with kids until they're right at about four. Now, I've worked with some three-year-olds and even some really with it two-year-olds who can kind of do it and self-monitor and self-correct, but only because they've had so much practice. Being corrected and redirected during therapy, that they kind of, I think that they anticipate. Oh, she's about to say, she's about to fix that for me. She's about to correct me, and then they go ahead and do it, not because they were really self-monitoring or thinking ahead with, I don't want to make a mistake, or I made a mistake and I'll fix it. just they kind of anticipate what would come next from you. Does that make sense? I hope that makes as much sense to you as it does to me because that's the way I really sort it out in my mind. So they're not self-monitoring. So they don't, even though you've corrected them a hundred times, a thousand times, (laughs) they still may not be to the point that they can really realize the mistake that they're making. Another thing that's really common with children with autism is that they're perseverative. And that's a fancy word for saying they like to repeat. They find comfort in routines. They like doing the same things over and over and over and over. So for them, even when it's a mistake or an error, it's how they learned it. So it is going to be monumentally more difficult to fix that because of their fixation or their habit of doing the same things. Over and over and over. So that ability to shift and learn something new may take even longer, like we've already talked about. Another reason kids would tend to use their, uh, this is the same thing, use their own names is because they've had years of reinforcement. So, again, this mom is saying, I think she said her little girl is four. As long as it's taken me to answer this email, she she could have turned five by now. But she's had years of reinforcement of using her name and phrases, and so it's going to take some time to kind of undo that. And she was probably, I'm pretty sure, a late talker, so she didn't start talking at 12 months, and then by the time that she was two and a half or three, her mom started correcting her when she said her name, you know, let's pretend her name is Ashley, you know, As She Wants Shoes or um, Ashley's Shoes or Ashley's um, Book, you know, her mom didn't start correcting her at 24 months and 30 months putting the pronoun in there or saying, oh, say my shoe or say my book or I want cup instead of Ashley wants a cup. Because when we have a kid who's a late talker, their their words are just emerging at 24 months and 30 months and 36 months. So we're not going to correct them if they're using their names in a phrase because we're just so excited that they're talking in the first place. Just as we would not correct a 12-month-old or an 18-month-old when they... Use their names or did probably they may not have been using their names at that level, even typically developing kids kind of wait until they're about 18 months to 24 months before they start saying their names and phrases. But my point here is you're not going to correct that error in a new talker. And so by the time a four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old kid on the spectrum, by the time we start saying, gosh, we probably better fix this pronoun thing, they probably had longer than a year or a year and a half or six months of using their name in that phrase. So we may have years of reinforcement to undo with that kind of pattern. So that's another reason it may be really, really hard for her to make that switch. Um, And so I just wanted to kind of talk about those reasons that pronouns are really, really hard because that will give you some with a child with autism or autism-like traits, again, you to understand that's why this seems like it's such a persistent mistake Um, and why it's this mom just seems pretty exasperated in her attempts to fix this. And uh, again, I'm not telling her she's wrong in wanting to fix it. She certainly is not. We have to help children mature in their language development. But I do want to give her some insight with why it's so hard for her daughter because I think that makes us sympathetic and empathetic and if we can kind of realize, oh, no wonder it's so hard for her. It does make it uh, make our approaches a little more understanding or more, uh, I've already said empathetic, sympathetic. We're just kinder. We're just gentler when we do it. We're just uh, more... Um, accepting of why there's an error. And again, I think that anytime we can understand why something is happening, we're more likely to approach it from a better place. We're in a better position to address it rather than just thinking, oh, this is something she's not doing or she's stubbornly refusing to say these words here. She's driving me up the wall. She knows I don't like it when she says her name, yet she does it anyway. You know, it's never about that. It's never about a child being purposefully out to get you with how they're, they're especially with something like this, with using their own name there. It's just how they've learned it. It's just that we just need to help them move toward a more mature way of speaking. So I hope that 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 discussion there makes sense, that the reason that kids struggle with pronouns when they're on the spectrum is they they have difficulty with abstract language. There's difficulty with perspective taking, meaning they don't really understand. When mommy talks, she can use I and me, and she's referring to mommy. But when I talk, I use I and me, and I'm referring to myself, not to mommy. And so they have to understand that. That, you know, more of that self awareness kind of role. Hey, I forgot to mention this. There's a study that came out this year, earlier this year, 2015, a sign language study where they looked at children who were hearing impaired and compared them to children who are on the spectrum and looked at pronoun usage to see if hearing it wrong or the echolalic piece is really what made children struggle. Um, And children with hearing impairment, because they use signs or gestures when they're learning pronouns, they don't struggle as much with pronouns because of that gestural piece as children who don't uh, normally get that input from the get-go. So like with a hearing impaired kid, we would sign, we would gesture, we would do things to supplement what we were saying to them because we have to help them learn how to compensate for not hearing language. But our little friends who are on the spectrum, we don't really think to do that. So that gives us some insight into what some of our strategies should be. So I'll link this on this study on uh, Blog Talk Radio's site and at Teach Me to Talk site so that you can take a look at this if you're interested in looking at that. Uh, and again, we've already talked about kids with echolalia really struggle with pronouns, and again, echolalia is associated with autism, and any kid who has any kind of language delay, when he's at the 24-month level, we can't, you know, until he gets to that 24 to 30-month language level, we really should not realistically expect him to sort of, to start to sort out those pronoun usage issues because that's when we would expect it to happen in Typically developing language. So if you are working with a child who isn't combining words yet, who's just a single word user, they're probably not ready cognitively to make that jump to pronoun usage yet because they, we have to make sure that language development-wise, they're all synced up and that they've met all of the foundational pieces. So again, if you have a kid who's not doing phrases yet, um he he's not really going to be ready to master lots of pronouns yet, and especially pronoun usage, because developmentally he needs to be further along with language. And I hope that makes sense to you. It will if you're a therapist, if you're a mom, just kinda know, just kinda tuck that away with oh, don't pre-noun. Let me keep going with that. All right. So let me give you some, we've talked about those reasons, now let me give you just some kind of general recommendations for teaching pronouns, and then I'm going to follow it up with some really specific things that you can do. First of all, the sign language study reinforces to do this step, but almost any speech pathologist The child will tell you, use some gestures when you are talking and using pronouns. Point to yourself when you're saying I. Pat the child's chest or point to him. I like touching the child when I'm saying you so that he has another visual reference for the word that you're using. And and that's a really good recommendation. When you are modeling what the child should say, you have to do the same thing, but reverse it, so you'll be doing some hand over hand assistance for him. So if you're having him imitate you know "I want car," when you are modeling that for him, you should not really be or "I want car," you should be patting putting your hand on his chest for I want cars, so that you are helping him. You're you're taking that model to the physical prompt phase two, and you are modeling what he would be doing gesturally with that. All right, so does that make sense to you? So I've messed that up a lot with kids when I'm pointing to myself for I want, as I'm modeling that without thinking, man, I should really – take his little hand on and put it on his little chest so he understands I means himself. It means him. So be sure that you are thinking about that, and if you've messed that up, you certainly um, can fix that and can think about or or adding that little gesture as well. Another tip that I would really talk to moms about And really, if you're a speech pathologist uh, or work in another discipline and you're thinking about targeting pronouns, target one pronoun at a time. Don't try to teach more than one pronoun together. Now, a lot of therapists will think, okay, I'm going to teach my and your, and I'm just going to do this with my turn and your turn, because that's something I can really easily work it into. Let me just say, that could spell disaster, because so many of our little guys get so mad with the taking turn piece in general. So if you think that you're going to be effective with teaching my and your in that context by taking his favorite toy and and teaching, you know, my and your that way, ugh, that is not going to work. You're making him too mad. And when a kid is too mad, they can't learn anything. So don't try to teach that switch during that time. Um just or don't use the my, your, dear. you want to save that for later. You want to teach that later. So you may do something where you're just focused on teaching the word my or just focused on teaching you or your in a different context. I'll give you some more specific ideas later. But for right now, I know that you should, for kids who've had difficulty, for kids that you've heard messed it up, and like this little girl would be an example, we, she messes up pronouns because she uses she doesn't use pronouns, she uses her name in a sentence rather than making that switch and using pronouns. So for her, we would know, oh, we better back this up, we better break this down, we better teach one pronoun at a time. Another thing that I make sure I talk to parents about when I suspect that a child is on the spectrum or when I know that there's been a lot of difficulties with the receptive language, I talk to parents and say, look, I'm anticipating that pronouns are going to be hard for him. So I know that you like to refer to yourself as mommy in a conversation. And I certainly will do this in therapy, refer to myself as Laura. But I say, you know, we've got to start letting them hear pronouns a lot to really get them ready to use pronouns but saying mommy wants to turn mommy wants a drink or um, you know give the book to mommy immediately follow that up and put the pronoun in there. So mommy wants a cookie, yes, I want a cookie and really emphasize that pronoun. If you say, you know, give it to mommy, you're gonna do it but correct yourself or reword what you've just said, you know, give it to mommy, yes, give it to me, give it to me, I want that, give it to me, so that the child is hearing lots and lots and lots of pronouns in context. Uh, And again, it's really common that as speech pathologists, we've told parents, use your name there instead of a pronoun to help a kid really learn to understand. And I get that and that is a good recommendation for a kid who's not talking at all. But when children move to being more verbal, you have to start thinking about what's coming down the road, what's coming down the road. And we know a kid is likely to have difficulty with pronouns, and so we need to start to work on it a little sooner. And not let that be something that we don't address until they're five or six or whenever. So you want to start modeling Nouns like those early ones that we talked about, I, me, my, mine, and you, start using those really, really early, so that a kid doesn't have to unlearn a mistake, as this little girl is having to do right now too. Another really general piece of advice here, all especially with a child who's echolalic, and we've already talked about that a lot, meaning that they repeat what you said verbatim. (laughs) If they hear it, they're going to say it. For those kinds of kids. You have to be super careful with pronouns and just model what you would want them to say. So you can really mess this up. And I'm sure if you're a speech pathologist, you're laughing in your mind at how you've screwed this up in the past. So you've said something to a kid like, you know, mom is holding, a say, a goldfish. And you look at your little client and you say, you tell her you want a fish. And the kid says, you want a fish. Right? Have you had that happen? We all have, okay? And you, then you realize, oh, I have to say it just how I want him to say it. Now, our ABA friends would say that we're teaching a echoics. And, again, you're teaching it just like you want the kid to say it so that he doesn't have to do that pronoun reversal. And this is especially in the beginning when you're first teaching these early friends patterns. Be sure that you're thinking about that. Um, let's see, we don't have very much time in today's show, so tell you what, this is going to end up being a two-parter, and I had no idea that I would be able to talk about this, but I want to be sure that we are fully answering this mom's question, especially since she's been so persistent in emailing it to me time and time again. So today's show, we've talked about why pronouns are hard how pronouns emerge in typically developing language. And I've given you some really general recommendations for teaching. And then on next show, we'll get into these really specific activity suggestions because I want you to have a good repertoire of activities that you would use for children who struggle with this because it is such a prevalent problem with our little friends. So Tune in next week and we'll get those really, really specific fantasy ideas. Thanks so much for joining today. Have a great week. Bye-bye.